So, hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk About It, the McMaster CSA podcast, where we try to explore different topics as an Asian Canadian and our experiences as students. Today, I'm honored to have William Liu, the current host of the Raptors show on Sports at the Fan 590, the number one pot basketball podcast in Canada, joining me today to talk about his experiences in the field and um, reminisce a little bit about his time here at McMaster. So um, according to his LinkedIn, he was a Mac grad in 2015, but as uh, unfortunately there hasn't, there isn't much else on the LinkedIn. So we'll just begin there at with, uh, Will's experience at McMaster. So if you could just experience uh, some of your experience at, at Mac in a couple words, how would you describe your experience, your university experience in general? I mean, I think it was, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I, I think, for me, it felt like really atypical when I was experiencing, but in kind of looking back at it, it was kind of typical in the sense that, uh, not a surprise here, but uh, as a as the son of um, two Chinese immigrants, and I, myself being a Chinese immigrant as well, um, definitely went into Mac life sciences thinking I was going to become a doctor and quickly deciding against that once I was in a few years. and. I uh, had to scramble a little bit and end up, you know, switching over to economics, which was, which was cool. Um, it was interesting and useful, but uh, for me, really, uh, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in school. And that's why I have not used my degree, not even one day so far. So, um, yeah. And so, I, I, like you mentioned, switching between programs, that can obviously be, like, that's something you struggle with personally as well. But I know switching programs, especially with immigrant parents, is a decision that just influences you. Obviously, that's something that your parents would have influence on, even your peers as well. So what was that like in, in terms of your relationships with your parents, your family, and even your peers and you like that scrambling in that university period? I think the biggest feeling for me back then was I just kind of felt really lonely in that idea. Like it was really just my own choice to sort of own up to um, the dynamic in my family was that uh, like my mom had to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of staying on top of me and my brother and making sure that we, you know, quote unquote act right. And then my dad was sort of more laid back and chill and really his go-to line would be like, you know, this is your life, whatever things that happen with it, you gotta own it and just gotta make sure you're able to take care of yourself and the people in your life. So he was much more hands-off about it. But um, yeah, at the time, I don't think it was well-supported. I think for them, um, it was already a shock when I switched into when I majored in um, chemical biology after first year and they were thinking, well, do you want to become a pharmacist? Like, you know, that's not the plan. And then after a few years of, of being in chem bio, I realized, wow, this is horrible. I really don't like being in a lab. Um, you know, I think there was like one year long project where you have to like isolate some specific compound and then test it against some other things, you know, typical chemistry stuff. And um I think like week three of the lab, I made one small error and the project was just doomed for like the next like two months. And I was like, I, I, this is unsustainable. I can't live uh, doing this uh, all the time. So then I had to sort of go through a period where I have to reflect upon myself, like, hey, what am I doing? And I think that's one of the things I ask myself so often in university, it kind of tortured my, uh, just just my, my spirit in terms of thinking about what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I kind of felt like I needed to do something. I get something out of that experience. And honestly, it wasn't until 
I really asked myself the question of like, forget what you're supposed to do. What do you like to do? What are some of your hobbies? And for me, one of my hobbies was I really enjoy the Raptors and I read. And at that time, there was not a lot of podcasts at all, actually. But uh, I, I really like watching the Raptors. I really like reading about it. And so I was like, why don't you just try doing that? That's a hobby for you. I never thought that was going to become a career. But I was like, I am feeling so um, twisted and tortured sort of with sort of living up to sort of what I should be. And I never really checked in myself with what I wanted to do. And once I did that, I think I was able to start finding some clarity in terms of what I wanted in life. And I joined the silhouette in my fourth year, which was great. Um, you know, that, I thought that was just a great opportunity for me to be in that setting to see like, if this is a hobby or if there's something that I actually wanted to pursue. And that gave me a great opportunity. I just was a volunteer and I covered the women's basketball team. And I wrote a few stories there. And then from that uh, experience as a volunteer, I was able to apply for a job at the SIL to manage the online section in my last year. And that was awesome. I loved working in the environment. I almost treated like that was my co-op in a sense, because it gives you that a little bit of a taste of what it's like to work in that environment of a newsroom, um, what kind of responsibilities that entails, what kind of lifestyle that entails and the kind of people really that you'll be with. And from there, I was able to transition into uh, blogging a lot more and then eventually landing a job at the score in my last year uh, uh, in school. Yeah, for sure. And I know, like you mentioned, going into uh, Cambio and then also economics, those are two, two fields of study that are very traditionally Asian, I would assume. So yes, um, but I guess like for a lot, of my, a lot of peers, that might be something that like you go into to please your parents. And even sure. you going to those fields and then kind of pivoting what you ended up doing, like you said, not using your degree, even to this day, was, did you get any pushback just based on the fact that you did put in the time and like, obviously your parents putting you through school as well. And then just, you never really um, using the resources of the school itself. That was that ever an issue of contention with your parents or with your family? Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. It was a huge issue of contention. Um, I mean, I think first off, like uh, this is probably not uncommon from the other, um, especially the Chinese families that I sort of known and friends and stuff like that around my age. But like my parents worked really hard and it was kind of a one income household for quite a while. And, you know, for my dad, not only was he supporting the family here, but he was supporting family back home. And it, even with all that, he managed to uh, create a savings account that was able to help pay for my schooling. So I was already really privileged to have that happen. I didn't have to take on student loans. Um, and so with all that, I felt extremely guilty that I wasn't really using the degree to the full capacity. I mean, I, I had everything there before me. Um, and so that, that of course, was, was painful. But for me, I, the way I thought about it was sort of the approach my dad told me, which he never really like applied that sort of guilt towards me. He mostly just said, these are the choices you have to live with. And like you, you own these things. So if you want to decide to go into this field that generally speaking is, is there's very few opportunities, you know, it's not that well-paid. It's not that secure. Um, and to be honest, their biggest fear was we don't know how to help you with this. Like my parents both got engineering degrees in China at, uh, at Zhejiang university, which is a great university. Um, but, you know, their experience here in, America, in Canada is sort of just different. Like, they only really know the industry that they, they're in. So they wanted me to at least be in something that um, they could help with. And to, to, be, to go into uh, journalism, to go into the media in general, 
that's something they had no idea what to do with. And to be honest, you know, coming from the, 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 the Chinese background specifically, I think journalism is not as popular of a field there just because of there's less industries and also there's also the, the state element that comes into that. So um, yeah, they were just worried. And, and really for me, even though I was working at the score and I got a full-time job and I was able to live on my own and, and pay my own rent and everything like that. And I was on my feet and never, I, I don't think I've asked my parents for anything since university um, for like two, three years, I just kept telling them, I was like, don't worry, this is just temporary. I'm going to get an, an MBA and not focus so much on the NBA. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think eventually it got to the point where, look, I, I felt for me personally, I was seeing some advancements in my career and I could feel comfortable with it. But mostly for me, I needed to prove to myself at the university, okay, this is the choice I made. I need to own that and make something of it. And I think that was probably my main driving factor in life uh, up until, you know, more recently where I've been able to feel more secure. Yeah, I think one of the things I've come to realize is like that that emphasis on education as immigrant children is really has a lot to do with the fact that it's the stable way out, right? So graduating with an undergraduate degree and being able to find a secure job isn't something that a lot of our parents were privileged to have growing up, which is why they really pushed that heavily on us. So just um, going back to you beginning at the score, I know um, I know you're joking about in one of your recent podcasts that obviously wasn't a lot of money coming straight out of undergrad, what was that period of getting into the field like, especially, I, I'm not sure if there was an influence of you maybe being a person of color in this industry, if that um, kind of affected how you're able to get your foot in the door. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was just very lucky because I was writing at Raptors Republic and through that I was able to make a uh, connection to Blake Murphy, who at the time was working at the score at a very low level job, quite honestly. but. Uh, at least I had that reference in mind because of course if you're looking for jobs one of the hardest things is you know to get experience and to get like um, sources that or references that really help or are relevant to the job you're applying to and so at least I was lucky to to have that connection but yeah it, it was it was a challenge I think it was a shock for me coming in first off when I came into the newsroom I was 21 maybe 22 but I think 21 and um like I was the youngest guy there and it was a very strange environment. Like it, it was, it's, it's very weird for a lot of people when they first enter the workplace, it's just like, you're in an environment, like at school, you're mostly interacting with people of your own age, right? There's mostly undergrad people, kids. And then there's some like, you know, graduate school students, but largely speaking, you're in the same age group. Whereas I went to work and it was like, everybody was like 30. And to be honest, and something like sports media, like it was like 90% male if not almost 100% when they first entered the office at the score. And it was also like 95% white. So it was it was shocking in a way because that was not an environment I was used to. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. I don't know what specific things that I face as a person of color specifically in that environment, but you do kind of feel just uneasy and sort of at odds. So you know, when you know you're like very different from everyone else. And would you, would you say that there's been kind of a shift in terms of representation in sports media as well? Because I think just for me personally, um, being a fan of your podcast and listening to you and Alex talk about the Raptors, it's kind of like, to me, representation is important because that's like, that's like, oh, I'm just like chatting up with my friends about the Raptors. That's something that's really important, I think, is being able to see people who look like you in sports media is um, 
it's definitely important. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for us, like me and Alex and, and Alex, uh, his, Alex Wong, he's from Hong Kong. Um, he, we have really made a concerted effort in all the things that we do to sort of leave space for um, these conversations to be had, whether they're one of the more serious ones um, or even just lighthearted things. And we make jokes all the time um, because we relate to each other's experiences. But I think at the same time, we understand that like there's not many of these spaces, period. Like, I don't think you can listen to this radio station that I'm at right now and you can listen to it all day. We have programming all day. I don't know if anyone else is going to make an Asian parent joke <laughs> or anything even close to it, right? But I, I think that that's something that uh, we want to leave that space for because, again, it is really alienating uh, when you're kind of alone in that, that space. But to be honest, if you don't kind of create that space yourself when you get the chance to, and I have a really good chance right now to have a big platform, um, then, you know, it's a, it's a missed opportunity, in my opinion. For sure, for sure. And in terms of just the entire, like you've mentioned, that's not something you find everywhere in the area, in the world of sports journalism. Was there some, was there something that Sportsnet was able to provide with this platform that you weren't getting at, that you wouldn't be able to find at other platforms? Or what are the main um, things you're looking for in terms of an employer or um, a platform that really entices you to be part of? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in this specific industry, in the media industry, right, the, the reality is that, like, the biggest platforms are owned by the biggest media companies. So you kind of have to get there um, in order to to sort of reach the type of audience that you that you want to ideally reach. And so for me, like, sports, they made a lot of sense because they have uh, incredible tools in terms of, like, they have a lot of people working at the technical side, uh, producers, things like that. The technology, obviously, is all there. They have a studio. All these things are things that I were not was not able to work with before, and um, you know I, I think that the other part is just the audience. Like they, this is you can literally drive in the car and, and you know tune into sports radio, which is something I used to do a ton as a kid because my parents didn't have cable. So I was like, okay, I still like sports. How can I hear it? Well, I, I guess I have to like literally turn on the radio, and um, that's a huge audience and it reaches a ton of people and. That's something I wanted to get into. But I, I think for anybody who's looking for the, the kind of industry that they want to get into, like you want to get to a place where you can be supported and, and the directives for what you want, to, what's expected of you are pretty clear and that you have the tools to make that happen. And if you could find those combinations, then you're generally in a pretty good spot. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess in terms of just giving advice to anyone who is looking to go into, uh, into media or sports journalism in general, what are some things that you like, like want, if you were talking to your younger self, what are some things you really look out for going into the industry? Some of the things just keep in mind. Yeah, that's a great question. I think number one, um, what the, the part of the media that you see is like kind of the tip of the iceberg. So the people that you see on TV, if the people that you hear on podcasts and radio, um, that it represents like maybe 10% of the people that actually work in sports. Uh, and so the thing is, most people want to become that. It's like, if you go into life sciences, most people want to become doctors, right? But there are just as many, if not more nurses, there are just as many, if not, um, you know, other medical workers. <laughs> I did not stay the program long. Guys. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's the same thing in, in, in media in the sense that if you really want to work in sports, for example, right, if you really want to work in sports, 
there are producers and those are the people behind the scenes that sort of make things happen. You know, there's technical producers that work mostly with, you know, um, machines and computers and, 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 and technical gear. Um, there's also producers in terms of people who book guests who sort of do all that kind of stuff, plan shows. That's really important. But then there's also the video side in terms of like, who is the videographer? Who's behind the camera? Who is the social person that is um, at games and they have just as much access as anybody else? Um, like there's so many ways to get into the industry itself. And I think that if the, the thing that you're passionate about is like you want to work in sports and you want to be around professional sports or you just anybody playing sports, like, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is like a journalist or someone on TV, an anchor or something, but there's so many jobs and you kind of have to expand um, your thinking a little bit because the way I would compare it is when I was at Yahoo, uh, we were able to cover the uh, the Raptors championship run, and we were able to go on the road, and I was, it was incredible. Like it's, I was at every single game the Raptors played when they won the NBA championship. That's like an all time memory for me. We sent three people to every single game, and and one was me, and I was doing podcasting, I was doing a bit of video, and I was I was writing. So I would be the person you would be able to identify, but we also sent a social person who also did video, who also did photography. His name's Keyshawn Mystery. He became quite famous. He um, got a photo in the New York Times on, of Kawhi's shot. It was just a tremendous honor, I think. And he had a number of great photos that I'm sure every Raptor fan has seen. And then the other person was uh, a videographer uh, who you know, largely did a lot of the behind the scenes work. And if you think about it in that, proportion like that sort of you know uh you know one to one to one like um if you want to enter this business like you have to realize how big the business is and you don't limit yourself to just wanting to do the thing that is maybe most obvious to you yeah and i i think especially um like you mentioned there's just such a like expansive part of the industry that no one really sees like what are some of the ways that you would like be able to be able to see everything behind the curtain as like a student going through this this process of like figuring out what you want to do, how are some of the ways that like you would be able to really learn more about the whole industry as a whole? I think number one, you just reach out to the people that you really admire that you're following. I think nowadays, like people are generally very accessible through social media. Like you and I don't know each other, but you just, you know, sent me a message on, on, on Twitter. You just DM me and I responded. And I made time for this and, you know, we're able to sort of have this conversation. Now, I think that happens a lot for a lot of people. I mean, like I have a lot of these conversations with a lot of strangers who want to kind of do what I do. And um, yeah, I mean, just reach out to them. I mean, chances are, if you, if you work in an industry that is more front facing in which there are people that you could easily identify in terms of people that you follow and things like that, shoot them a message. Like people are very kind, I, I think. At least that's what I like to believe. And um, they'll help you out. And just like anything else in life, like the more you know about something, the more you know what you want to do, the easier of a time it's going to be. Because to be honest, for a lot of students, I know this in university, because it happened to me, like you spend so much of your time, like not really knowing what you want to do. And that will, A, it's just really hard to live with that because there's a lot of pressure and things like that. But um, B, like you're, you're also not being as efficient with your time that you can be when you have the answers, because someone could probably just give you the answers. And that's realistically how most of life works. You go talk to someone who's done it before, and then you try to do that. And then you kind of try to imagine the next thing that you want and, and set a new goal for yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think just like having the courage to ask questions and not, be, not being afraid to like put yourself out there goes a yeah. long way. And I mean, worst case scenario, they don't, they don't respond to you and you're like, okay, that guy's a dick. 
Yeah. Stop, 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 stop. Worst case scenario is I just stop listening to your podcast. I'm like, oh, this guy doesn't want to talk to me. I just, no, I guess no. no. <laughs> no appreciate you for um, taking the time. Like, um, again, um, one thing I kind of want to go back and touch on was how there's just so much of the industry that we don't see. Is there anything in particular behind the scenes that you really want to see change in the industry as well? Yeah, a lot of things. I, I think I for sure want to see parity um in terms of like racial parity and also gender parity i think those are the two biggest things that are that are, that are you know this industry is currently lacking like i'm not gonna lie to you like if you go to a raptors game and you go to see the reporters are in the room it's like six white males in between 30 and like 70 really and then maybe a few people of color but very very few women very very few people of color and i think that that is something that i want to see change I, I think personally um the coverage is a lot better when when players can kind of relate to um the person that they're speaking to the person that they're um, reporting with i mean it's it's not saying that white people can't do this job it's that's that's like way too much of a oversimplification but i think that there if you talk to anybody who's honest about this like there's a lack of representation in the media space. And so what that's gonna take is for companies and hire people who are in position to hire, people who are in position to influence who gets hired to, to make a conscious effort in terms of checking their own biases and hiring whoever the best candidates are out there. Um, I think that you know it, it's not only going to be just a more equitable uh, situation and a more equitable workplace, but I think you're also gonna get better coverage out of it. Like I really do. Um, when, when the NBA uh, shut down for a while during the pandemic, you know, and they restarted in the bubble, they played in at, at Disneyland, there was a lot of conversations that uh, went on about Black Lives Matter, for example. And it was tremendously awkward being in some of those Zoom calls when you would have these old re white reporters who like don't relate to the cause whatsoever. Maybe they support it, but they don't relate to it. And that's not their fault, right? But they just don't. Their life experiences wouldn't allow them to. And they're just asking players these deeply intense questions uh, about, hey, what's your reaction to this, uh, the police choking out a man, uh, you know, for eight minutes? Or like, what's your reaction to uh, a man getting shot in the back like nine times by police in front of his child? And it, it, I think that the tone of the questions almost lacked humanity to me because they were not able to relate to that situation at all. They just kind of treated it like, hey, how, how did you react to that last play? You missed a shot. Like they asked it literally in the same way, in the same, in the same kind of style. And I think that that's where if you did have more diversity um, in the, 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 the people who are covering the game, I, I think honestly, you would get, uh, first off, you wouldn't get some of these questions. And then second of all, you would get more productive conversations out of these players. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think at this point, we'll pivot towards a little bit, talk more about the Raptors themselves. Um, Let's do it. Like, like, like you, huge fan of the Raptors, I think, I have definitely haven't been watching as long as you have. I think since the 2010 Raptors is when I really got into it. So my first yeah. question really starts with, um, what is your most memorable uh, memory of the Raptors growing up? Obviously the years before Kyle, before Damar, mm. before the years of really being a relevant team in the league. <laughs> uh, what's my favorite memory of the, the older times? I think for me, like... Um... I really liked watching the 06-07 team, the year they drafted Barniani, the year Brian Colangelo took over as general manager. Um, they made a number of pretty good signings that year, to be honest. Like Anthony Parker was a nice piece. 
Jorge Garbajosa. Jose Calderon was already there, but he started for the first time. And that's when Chris Bosch broke out as a star. And that team was pretty fun. They won the Atlantic Division. That was a big deal back then. I think that's the first time the Raptors had won the Atlantic. And um, there was just a lot of good games. I remember one night I was like, you know, kind of, this, I was like maybe 10 around this time. Um, I'd been put to bed and I was, but I was such a fan. I was literally taking my um, alarm clock radio and like stuffed it underneath my pillow and like listened to the radio broadcast. Uh, at like 1 a.m., uh, the, Ra- the Raptors were playing the Clippers on the road and TJ Ford hit a game winner or something like that. And I just remember listening to radio call me so excited and um, almost waking up my parents because then they would have found out and they were like, what, why are you up at 1 a.m. listening to the radio? You're, you're, you're 10 years old. Like, please act your age. But yeah, I don't know. There was there was there were very few good times, but I think you kind of appreciated like the few things that went that went well. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, I think like, I think I feel like I got into really like I got really into the Raptors at a good time. That's like it went right around the time when they started get they get good, they get Cal, Demar comes up, and then just mm-hmm. the that that whole experience of those Brooklyn series, yeah, and the beginning, the early beginnings of Jurassic Park were just so memorable to me. That always will be just like, yeah, th- that that atmosphere was like was not something that I've ever experienced before, and just those definitely stick out to me as like my early. Uh, memories of being a Raptors fan and I guess um, I know you touched on that championship run earlier um, that was absolutely surreal just even seeing it on TV so I can imagine being in person that would have been insane so but outside of the championship run is there an uh, interaction with a player or anyone um, in the Raptors sphere that really sticks out to you um, obviously there's, there's been quite a few now. Like, I think that, um, I, I mean, each time I interview a player, like in person, one-on-one, like that's a really cool experience. Cause to me, I'm, I'm still like a huge fan of the team. Like, I, I mean, there's supposed to be like journalistic integrity or whatever. To be honest, I see that as more for like serious topics for sports. Okay. You're a homer. This doesn't really affect what you're doing. It's not that important. Um, but yeah, I mean, every time I see a player, I think it's huge. Um, I, and, and honestly, the personal interactions are really cool. Like at, at one time I remember, after the Raptors won in game six uh, against the Bucks, and they were going to the NBA finals for the first time. I remember, you know, like hanging around after the game. This is like two hours after the game. And I saw Jeremy Lin in the tunnel. And obviously I've been a fan of Jeremy just like uh, as, as a player, but also, you know, I mean, let's be honest, like almost every Asian person is a fan of Jeremy Lin. And I walked up to him and I was like, Hey, and we had never spoke before, but I was like, Hey, Jeremy, you know, I'm Will. I work for Yahoo. And he's like, Oh, Hey, what's up? And I was like, hey, just listen, man, I, not even anything about reporting the business at all. I just wanted to say, like, you know, it's really awesome that you're here. I'm really happy for you that you're able to represent us at this big moment. Um, and I, I know maybe you may not feel personally satisfied in terms of like he wasn't playing very much for the Raptors at that time. But I was like, you know, you've done such a good job of representing us uh, thoughtfully around the world. And I just want to say thank you, honestly, because like you, you carry a huge burden for us. And, and he said, thank you. And then we dapped each other up. And, and that was the only time we ever spoke really, but um, that was cool. And then I think, oh, actually no, later at the championship parade, I was sort of following the parade along um, as the bus sort of like took a really, really long time to get from one part of Toronto to the other. It was like five hours. And um, I saw Jeremy on the, the float and he pointed at me because he, we were wearing like the same Raptors jersey. It was like a Chinese New Year throwback jersey that had the raptors but spelled in, in chinese in the front 
and we were in the same thing and he pointed at me and then he was like yo give me your jersey so i like took out my jersey i threw it up to him at the on the bus he signed it and he threw it back to me it was awesome so shout out jeremy lynn you know uh, whatever he does he's uh he's slander proof for me yeah yeah honestly forever slander proof i think i think his impact on like like the way he carries himself on and off the court his representation of being asian and all of media over the past like ever since linsanity has been absolutely um super impactful for the community in general yeah um, and he's the only he's the only asian who's uh, ever cruised in a group project but that's another <laughs> um um the raptors this season another thing we're going to talk about i've heard you yell on your podcast slander slander pods good pods um where do they finish this season <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say, right? They've had a five-game win streak. Now they're like one and five right afterwards. Um, I think it's part of being young. Like, they make a lot of these mistakes. And I think they're pretty talented, but they're probably going to make as, as many mistakes as the moments where they wow you. So I think they'll probably settle in around 500. I still think they could finish above 500 to be in the playoffs. But, um, you know, sometimes I remind of the fact that they're all like 23, 24. They're like, you know, two or three years into the league. You know, people are going to make mistakes and you just kind of live with that. And that's why you listen to the show, because it's going to be a roller coaster journey. But um, that's that's the whole point of being a fan, really. It's like you kind of you're there to sort of like live vicariously through them, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Regardless of where they get this season, I think it's really exciting time to be a fan of the Raptors, regardless, just because them being a young team, they're up and coming. It'll be a fun couple of years to see what they get. I think they're like. They got pieces two through nine. They just need if they ever get like that what that that first option really mm-hmm. down path, they'll be set for another run. Like what they got with Kawhi. He could yeah. just like grab a guy in free agency or through a trade like that and you're set. Yeah, I know. But that's the NBA. Yeah. You just wait on these five players at any given time who are like good enough to win the championship, because that's really it. So basketball's still weird like that, you know. It's it's a team sport, but it's also like individual. It's so individual. Yeah, I, I think basketball is probably the sport where one single player can impact the entire game the most. Yes. For sure. In a team sport, yeah. Because yeah. there's only five, <laughs> there's only 10 players on the court at once. Uh, every player plays offense and defense, unlike in baseball. Although I guess there's Shohei Otani, but he's obviously different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, you can also just control the – like the one guy can have the ball the whole time. Like the classic example is LeBron. Like I think the Raptors have had – deeper teams than like Cleveland in the past, but LeBron's just been so good. Yeah. LeBron's just yeah, been LeBron. It didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess just one last question to really cap off this podcast. Um, you with your, in your five years at Mac, we're just wondering if there's any experiences you've had with CSA in your time at Mac. And while I was doing my, my due diligence and researching, I saw that you were friends with Mac McMaster CSA on Facebook of all things. So I was okay. just wondering if you had any experiences with any of the events. I know we used to have a basketball tournament. I was wondering if you also have ever played in that. Honestly, it's one of my bigger regrets not participating in more clubs. I remember just like I, I came for Club Fest, like, I don't know if it was before my first year or during like Fresh Break or something like that. But yeah, I remember signing up, but I honestly just didn't follow through. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. I, I was like, um, yeah. I don't know what I did at first year, really. I just, it's almost like a blur to me. Like, I mean, I guess I had a girlfriend. And so, like, I spent a lot of time at home on weekends. And it was long distance. But also at the same time when I was at school, 
I guess I was just either going to school or just like watching a lot of basketball. I wasn't socializing all that much, to be honest, but I regret it. Honestly, like, definitely. If you're listening to this and you have more time university, like join clubs, participate, get in communities. Cause like it's, you're going to build bonds that, that help, you know, teach you who you are. And, um, you're also probably going to make some friends for life. Like that's why for me, like my favorite experience from university was being at the silhouette. Like, it, cause that was something where I was able to participate in something that was just purely for myself. And sometimes I think in school, like people are just like, they feel so much pressure to do well, to perform. And to be honest, it is just a really difficult time for a lot of people, but you have to make that space for yourself and clubs are a great way to do that. So. Yeah, no, I think that's an awesome point because it's so easy to get caught up in being a student where you just never turn off being a student and it's, yeah. you just miss out on so many opportunities and experiences that you could have had in your four years at university because it, I don't think there's another point in your life where you have four years of like not not complete freedom but just like you're really exploring and finding who you are and just mm-hmm. it's really easy to get caught up in the whole storm of being a student and worrying about the future and not really focusing on what you can be experiencing in the now yeah and listen to any McMaster students listen to this and I'm sure there are many um go explore the rest of Hamilton as well Hamilton's honestly a pretty nice place to go to school. There's a lot of great places. I know you guys probably have the bus passes still. Is that still a thing? Yeah. yeah. So you guys can travel pretty much anywhere. Um, go downtown, go to Ancaster, go see the waterfalls, go see the parks, go see the waterfront. Like it's a really fun place to to be in. Like it's, you know, it could be a lot worse. You could be in like London or like Kitchener <laughs> or something like that. Or like oh, Waterloo. Yeah. Like uh, those places suck, honestly. Like Hamilton is is actually pretty fun. And, and to be honest, I've been to Hamilton quite a bit recently. Like there's some pretty good Chinese restaurants and Asian restaurants popping everywhere. So escape the, um, escape the McMaster bubble is what I'm trying to say. Take the five, take the 51 and, and go have some fun. Yeah, no, I, I think Hamilton definitely gets a little bit too much slander for what it is. I think there's so many underrated yeah. spots all around Hamilton that people miss out on. There's a one specific spot that you would recommend everyone check out. Whether that's food uh, or hiking spot. I mean, yeah, for back back then, for me, like August eight was great. I, I think that's a that's a that's a staple. Yeah. Um, what else? I saw they have like a I don't know what it is in, in English, but Manjiang Hong is is not bad. It's like a place for like uh, Sichuan food downtown. So nice, awesome. So I think we can wrap it up there. Um, again, I'd like to thank you, Will, for taking time out of your schedule to be on the podcast um if you want to um, give will a follow on twitter at william Liu, and also tune into the show on either the sportsnet five fan 590 wherever you consume podcasts on spotify and um in terms of csa you can stay up to date with what we have coming coming up for the winter semester we'll have a lot more things in person and a holiday workshop coming up as well so you can follow us on our instagram at mcmaster csa to stay up to date with the, to stay up to date with that as well And we'd just like to thank you for taking time to listen to their podcast. Thank you.